Well, it's great to welcome Jim Camperoni to MSU today. He may have equals, but nobody covers Spartan athletics, particularly football and men's basketball, more extensively and in-depth than Jim at SpartanMag.com. So, Jim, great to have you on. Russ, it's great to be here. It's an honor to be with you again. I enjoy your work, the things you've done over the years. It's a credit to Michigan State University. It's a credit to the state of Michigan and all the work that I've, I've heard you uh, produce over the years. It's it's great to be on your show. Well, it's kind of you to say, and I can say the same thing to you because the Spartan Mag is and was when it was in print. Spartan Magazine is basically the Bible for the real serious Spartans and uh, Spartan sports fans. But before we get to that, you're a Spartan, and just take me back. You're in high school. Why was MSU the place you wanted to go to college? You know, it was the journalism program was attractive. At that time, it was the only accredited university in the, in the state with a journal, an accredited journalism program. And coming into the Com Arts building today, it was a nice throwback. And I was a minute late arriving here to your office because I found myself wandering around down there on the first floor, uh, remembering going to classes here in the Com Arts building. I've been here periodically over the years, not as much in the last 10 years, but um, it was great to see all the developments down there. The It's high-tech down there now, and it was nice to see that. I walked by a classroom and heard some applause, so there must have been a guest speaker at one of the classrooms. And the students, very quiet down there. A lot of students walking around. Classes just ended. Um, back in my day, there would have been more conversations, but quiet, grinding. You know, some guys, some guys and girls were, like, on their laptops, um looked to me like studying for other classes between classes and so forth. I was kind of I was kind of surprised that it was so quiet and serious and studious, which is good, but it was different. But the high-tech nature of the classrooms, you could see it through the glass windows. You're here every day. I've not been here in a while. That was good to see. Back then in the 80s, when I graduated from high school in northern Oakland County, uh, Michigan State, about an hour from here, um, had a great journalism program. So did Vanderbilt. I looked at Vanderbilt a little little bit. I was intrigued by Michigan State, of course, with the, the major college atmosphere of it. Major college football, major college basketball, and the journalism piece. It's a great school in our state, not far away, so it was a, a no-brainer for me to come to Michigan State. No one in my family had gone to Michigan State. My parents were from the South. They were from Tennessee, so there was no allegiance to any in-state school. My dad was a Notre Dame fan. He came from a, a family of coal miners in eastern Kentucky, and he was a mechanic in the Pontiac area and owned a, ga- a couple of gas stations. So he had an entrepreneurial bent to himself, even though he kind of came from, he was drafted into the Army during you know, Korean War years. But, you know, we didn't grow up Michigan State fans. Um, when Magic Johnson came out of the scene in 1978, I remember listen, hearing some highlights on the radio and my dad getting excited about this freshman at Michigan State. He was a big sports fan. So Michigan State was on the radar for sure. And, you know, sports was part of it. Journalism was a part of it. These, it's a great state public university. So I kind of found my way in East Lansing in the fall of 1986. It's funny you say that because I'm the last of six kids and the only one who has anything to do with MSU. So really? yeah, you just never know how it turns out. So wow. what about your time here then? How did it impact you and prepare you to be the editor of Spartan Mag? You, you know, know I've talked about this before in recent conversations with friends. Um, you know, I know some friends, some family members that that shy away a little bit from sending their school, their kids to a big university because they think it's too big. They'll get lost in there and that type of thing. For me, you know, I showed up at Michigan State. I knew a lot about sports. I thought I did. Um, knew a little bit about journalism. I thought I did. 
I'd written for a for a, a, a weekly publication in Fenton called the Tri-County News when I was in high school for a couple of years, covered high school sports for them, some of the sports that I did not participate in, and got some feedback from them that I kind of had something that was pretty good. I think they liked my enthusiasm. I didn't realize I had enthusiasm. Speaking of which, I go off on tangents, by the way. And you and I talked about maybe Quite about 20, right. about uh, many years ago, I was on a show of yours. It was recorded over at Holden Hall. Yep. In the basement, Impact Radio, yeah. Impact over there at their offices. I was with Spartan Magazine at the time when it was a print publication. This might have been pre-internet or maybe the yes, dawn it of was. the internet. Okay. And I remember doing an interview with you and we were talking about football and those things. And I came out and the next guest that you had was a professor, I think. And he said something that I remembered. He said... Wow, if everyone could have as much enthusiasm for their job as you do, it'd be. A, it, 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 I can't remember the rest of the statement, but I, I didn't even realize I had that enthusiasm. Yeah, you do. Okay, <laughs> good. So, I you know, so I had some enthusiasm, and they told me that you know when I was in high school, and I loved, uh, loved sports on television, on the radio, talk shows, all those things. You know, took them in, listened to WJR a lot. You know, Frank Beckman, sports rap, listened to that every night. I was a geek that way, right? A lot of people were, especially my age. I mean, some people my age also, they're, they're out there. So I came to Michigan State, maybe in not a lot of confidence, you know, um, maybe not confidence to ask a question in a press conference, you know, maybe not sure, you know, how to take my first steps. Once I did, once I got in there, um, my point is, I, I got to give a shout out to another friend of mine who was a friend of mine from high school who came back to the dorm. We were roommates in the dorm. His name was Jerry, still a good friend of mine. Um, and he brought back an application to the state news because he went to high school with me. He knew I was a sports writer, wanted to be. And he said, hey, I, I found, you know, I, I was over in the student services building and I saw this application and brought it back. We all got the state news back then. Everybody picked up the state news on their way into class. And how do you become a writer for the state news? I w really wouldn't have been sure at that time. He brought the application. I filled it out. I had some clips and experience, got an interview, and got in with the state news. I'm not sure I'd work for the state news if he hadn't brought that back to me that day. I'm not sure where I'd be today if he hadn't brought wow. that back. His name's Jerry Ernst, a very dear friend of mine. Anyway, um, so you're at the state news. Still, I'm a young kid and maybe not a lot of confidence. But this was an example of the, the, the size of the university and the magnitude of the university not burying me, but bringing me along. Next thing I know, I'm in a press box with Mitch Album and Joe Falls sitting right next to them. I see how they're working. I see what they're watching during the course of the game. Watching Jack Ebling, watched him very closely. And then I would see their work the next day, and I would see how they conducted themselves at press conferences. And because I'm covering Michigan State versus Wisconsin, a Big Ten game and so forth, the magnitude of the university in that regard brought me along as a, as a, as a journalist, as a sports writer. The, the size of the school didn't bury me. It made me in my, in, in, in my experience. Interesting. I love the bigness of MSU, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so t tell me, you graduate, sort of what's your brief career before you start on with Spartan Magazine? When do you get started with Spartan Magazine, and, and when do you sort of take it over? Yeah, you know, so I was at the State News for a couple of years, loved it. And, you know, I talk to some of the writers at the State News now. I've got a State News t-shirt, by the way. You know, I, I see some of the, the State News guys that come to the press conferences. I'll see them in a t-shirt. I'm like, hey, I worked for the State News in 1990. Uh, where can I get one of those shirts? The next thing you know, he brings one the next day. And I've got one. Um, and, I, you know, I ask them, you know, how they're coming along. And I talk about the way the State News was back in our day. And when I wrote for the State News, sometimes I'd go to class and people would recognize me. And they're like, that, that article you wrote was terrible. You're stupid, which is great, right? Because you had a little a column picture in there. 
But these days, I think that the state news, it, I don't think it has, it, it impacts the students like it did back then. Back then, there was no internet, no smartphones. So those stacks of state newses were all over campus. And you picked one up. If you arrived to class 10 minutes early, everybody was reading them as they sat down. Maybe they're just doing the crossword puzzle. But those writers um, had, had great experience back then. Back then also, other things that have changed. On campus, there was a music scene at Rick's American Cafe. Bands would come to town from Champaign, Illinois, or West Lafayette, Indiana. There was, a, there, was a, there was that scene going on. So our entertainment writers at the State News were interviewing bands as they came in, and sometimes on the cusp of greatness. Sometimes bands that had been on the air, they would, they would do interviews with the campus writers because that was a way to reach campus readers and that, that important demographic for any rock and roll band back then. So the state news was powerful back then. It was exciting, and it still is. But with, with the way newspapers have gone the way they are, and there's still great writers writing for some great newspapers out there, but with everything going digital and Internet, um, state news still does great work. But sadly, from my observation, it doesn't have the impact directly on the students that it did in the 90s or 80s when I was there. So state news was great back then. And ML Elric is, a, is someone I still speak with, Pulitzer Prize winner, and we've collaborated on some things. He was at the State News when I was there and, and, and a number of others. Um, Ricardo Cooney does some freelance work for me. He was at the State News when I was there. And, and he, he, you know, he's a freelancer for me, but I still look up to him like I did when I was 19. He was older <laughs> back then, and he, and he gave me a lot, of, uh, a lot of advice and a lot of respect back then, and I, I love working with him. And when, when we're together, it, it feels like 1988 yeah. again, which is great. Anyway, um, I forgot the so question. So you worked at a couple of papers. Yeah. What did you do after graduation but before Spartan Magazine? So State News, and then back then Steve Klein was sports editor of the Lansing State Journal, very good editor over there. And he would frequently bring state news writers to the Lansing State Journal to be f- stringers, correspondents. And y- if you were really good, you, you became Jack Ebling's sidekick. Otherwise, you, were, you worked your way, your way up, maybe covering a 5K run at the Capitol or high school football on Friday nights, basketball, high school wrestling. You know, you're in there covering those things. So, state, so the Lansing State Journal for a couple of years until I graduated from Michigan State. At that time, that was early 90s. And there was, um, you know, a bit of a recession at the time. You might remember the campaign slogan, it's the economy, stupid. It was around that time. And it was hard to get jobs in a lot of places, particularly in journalism. Today it has its challenges as well. That was pre-internet, but it was hard to get jobs. There was a job opening in Greenville, Michigan, up in the Grand Rapids area. Daily newspaper, really nice, small daily newspaper, circulation of about 12,000. Applied for a job there. Got it. Became a sports writer there for about two years. Um, the Stafford family owned the Greenville Daily News at that time. Big Michigan State people. John Stafford, Rob Stafford. I still owe a lot to them. They hired me, brought me in. John Stafford's father, Dale Stafford, was a writer in Lansing back in the 19, I don't know, 30s. He and George Alderton, if you re- read the fine print in the old media guides for football, George Alderton gets a lot of credit, as he should, for naming the Spartans, changing the name from the Aggies to the Spartans. They had kind of a contest, but he just started calling them Spartans, collaborated with other media members, and they went along and called it Spartans. And it was Alderton and Dale Stafford. Those were the two kingpins that changed the name to the Spartans. 
So I wrote for that newspaper for a, a, two years. Had a great time. You know, you're making entry-level wage, and you have a little apartment downtown, not much rent, working with some great people, having fun, covering high school sports like it's the Super Bowl. Loved it. We, you know, we'd write Friday night, the Belding High School game against Greenville High School. The next morning, Saturday paper. Sunday, I'd go to the local diner, and invariably, it happened more than one time, somebody would buy my breakfast because I mentioned their kid in the, in, the, in, in the game last <laughs> night. Now, as a journalism, you're not supposed to accept gifts from readers or anyone. I learned that here at Michigan State School of Journalism. But I did accept payment for those <laughs> breakfasts because I was on a budget. That's but right. it was great. I had a great time with it. And then a uh, Spartan Magazine job came open in 1993, applied for it, and became a writer there. And I don't know if you're heading in this direction or not, but two years later, yes. now Spartan Magazine had been founded in 1991 by a gentleman named Stu Coleman, another mentor of mine to this day, very dear person in my life still. He's in North Carolina. He's a publisher and entrepreneurial entrepreneur down there. Uh, he was the owner and founder of Spartan Magazine. He also founded magazines like the Wolverine Magazine and magazines at North Carolina State, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. He ended up becoming owner of magazines at Notre Dame, Penn State, and others. So Michigan State was one that he thought had potential, so he started one there. I was the second writer to write for him to become an editor. So that was 93. In 1995, I caught wind that Spartan Magazine might be up for sale. I went back to the Stafford family in Greenville with their history as Michigan State people, going back to Dale Stafford, and presented, presented, presented the opportunity to them. So they they became owners. I kind of arranged nice. an ownership change there and worked for them and had a great time with them, Spartan Magazine, 95 until the onset of the internet, probably around 99 or 2000. And then I purchased Spartan Magazine from the Stafford family, from Greenville News. Um, would have been around 2001. So that's how I became. And then the internet took off yeah, from there. We'll talk, but the mission was always to be more in-depth coverage than the newspapers can provide. Is that... The yeah, sort of the original mission, and is it still to to go in depth? You know, and it 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 changed along the way in terms of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. Um, I remember being at the 1997 Aloha Bowl, and one of the writers for the Detroit News, and one of the writers, another one, we're just kind of waiting for the press conference to begin. Michigan State had just gotten blown out by Washington, and um. One of the writers from the Detroit News said, "So, what about the magazine? You know, now with this internet thing coming around, is is that can that is probably going to hurt you guys? Um, because our magazine was it. We covered Michigan State sports. If you were a Michigan State fan who lived in Cincinnati or Denver or Seattle, um, outside of the state of Michigan, it was hard to get Michigan State coverage. There was no internet, so our magazine <clears throat> filled that niche. Right? Then the internet's coming around, and now." Someone who's a Michigan State fan who lives in Seattle can log on and read the Detroit News and Lansing State Journal. They were newspapers were a little slow to really put their content online, which was one of their mistakes looking back at it. But anyway, the writer from the Detroit News mentioned that to me. Is that going to be a bad thing for you guys? And I'm I'm probably 28 years old, not making much money, and just you know we got a little fledgling magazine trying to bring it along. And I said, yeah, you know it's going to be tough. You know that kind of hurts us in one way, but I just kind of see. Spartan Magazine becoming an internet daily at some point. And one of the other writers that was sitting there, his eyes bulged. I took it, like, in fear. Like, that, that person probably not... I'd like to play poker with that person because I'd probably... He's, I could read with... <laughs> and I, I was saying it's probably going to be an internet daily, like, 
That's what it's going to have to be. I'm not really looking forward to it, but that's what it has to become. When, when technology changes in business, those that harness new technology first sometimes have an advantage. You'd better use the new technology first. That's what I've read in books. I don't know. but Well, and you were right. Yeah. So when when does is the last print yes. version of Spartan Magazine, and when are we full fledged mm-hmm. SpartanMag.com? Well, as you know, the internet came around. We established SpartanMag.com in the early in the late nineties. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you know, it it we weren't first to market. There was another message board out there that's still strong today that was out there. So we were second. RC Cola was second in Atlanta to Coca Cola. You know, sometimes being second. It's hard to catch up, right? So, but the but there was an interest, and immediately we had, we had, traffic immediately, SpartanMag.com, and figuring out okay, what do we do with the magazine? Do we put it online? And for a long time, we thought you put it online, you can deliver it quicker. You don't have to pit, you don't have to print it, you don't have to mail it. You can save money that way. So we thought there was some a future there. It turned out there really wasn't, but we gave that a shot. All right, so the magazine. You know, it's a print magazine, newsprint magazine, you know, maybe, you know, 24, 28 pages, 32 pages, 36 pages. Um, a lot of in-depth reporting in there. What we try to do is go beyond what the newspapers could do, to answer your question from yeah. earlier. The newspapers only have so much space. So if we can go more in-depth in something, we don't want to be pack journalism. You hear about pack journalism, where journalists all write the same things. And a lot of times they're in a, they're in a a big hurry they don't have much space they do end up writing the same things maybe that's what their editors want so okay if they're over there what do we need to do we need to be outside of the pack we need to be writing about things that are not in newspapers so our audience was were diehard spartan fans we thought that we could go more deep into x's and o's because newspapers couldn't do that they didn't have the space and they have to be more broad based to a broader audience we've got more of a centralized audience that are big into michigan state sports we could go deeper. Let's go X's and O's. Let's try to teach them something about football. And that's been well-received. It's not for everybody, but there's a lot of people out there that are Michigan State that are football fans, a lot that are football fans, but still don't know the inner workings of the game. And if you can take one or two key plays and show them things that they may not have noticed. We used to have this little box feature, some things you may not have noticed. And in our magazine, you might be reading about the game a week and a half later. But if I can show you something today about the Maryland game from two weeks ago, that might pique your interest. So... Maybe not the best way to get a huge audience, but we found our niche there with, with things like that. So that was the newsprint magazine. We changed it as it went along. More color, color on the cover, glossy cover, added staples to it. And that we were pretty happy with the way that, that turned out. And you asked what happened to the magazine yeah. at some point? All right, so it did well, and it was, it was profitable. The Internet came around, and it was more profitable. And we did well with the Internet, and... Um, I arranged an ownership change to be to, to buy Spartan Magazine from the Stafford family. Two thousand one, internet was starting to take off. Our website was gaining traffic, and um, became part of a, a, an organization called Rivals.com, which was first to market in, in that industry. They were big into college football recruiting coverage. They recruited me, Spartan Magazine, to be their Michigan State franchise, so to speak. They had, you know, they had writers and at USC, Michigan, Notre Dame, Florida State, all over the country. We were the Michigan State choice, so they uh, had some success, and we, um, wrote, you know, helped them build with with our part, rode coattails, and it became a revenue stream, and it was solid. And then others popped up, other competitors online. Then the newspaper started to do more online. That's where the competition was, and that's where the growth potential was. So I needed to 
reallocate our limited manpower resources to the internet. The magazine was still profitable, not greatly profitable, but it was doing okay. Um, but it was extremely um, time-consuming. Yeah. It, I mean, every time we did a magazine, we were coming out 12 times a year, once a month. And essentially, doing a magazine was like finals week for me. I was experiencing finals week once a month, and it was hard. There was a lot of all-nighters, a lot of all-nighters. And so we did the magazine from, I, I did it from like 93 until about 2015. Okay. 2015, 2016, Michigan State had a bad football season. They had great football seasons in 2013, 14, 15. You know, went, won the Rose Bowl in 13, won the Cotton Bowl in 14, went to the college football player for 2015, and still was pouring a lot of time into the magazine. And I was happy with the product. We had great feedback from our subscribers, even though it was difficult to remain newsworthy or, you know, to have a shelf life. And that's something we tried to make sure. If you read this a week and a half after the game, does it have shelf life? And I felt like our we were uh, we we delivered that, but we were not growing. And I was like, if the magazine is not growing when Michigan State is having this type of success, it's not enjoyed since the 1960s, then it's probably time to close it down and put all our time and resources into the internet because that's where the competition was and that's where the growth was. I still hear from a lot of people that say, "Man, I miss the magazine." And I, I, it was a sense of accomplishment every time you finished one. It was stimulating to get those finished, but um, we were, I was not as good on the internet as I needed to be. So yeah. we made that, that difficult decision. And if you were a subscriber to the magazine at that time, you had a free subscription to our website um, for, the, for the length of whatever money that we had from you at yeah. that time. So the website is a premium website. It's about so really, you you might not have found the print magazine, but you did found SpartanMag.com. Mag.com, yes. Spartan Mag. You changed magazine to mag. Yeah. SpartanMag.com. Right. And that was part of Rivals.com. And it's a, it's a premium website. So you pay $9 a month like your HBO bill or anything like that. And their niche was college football recruiting coverage, which was something the newspapers were not covering much. Again, operating outside of the pack journalism. Did well nationally. And our Michigan State site did well. And in the meantime, you cover the team, which is our main, it ends up being our main thing. Like I said, back in 1997, it became an internet daily. You know, everybody's got the news out there, but my little news thing comes with a little opinion at the bottom. It's a, it's a 45 second read in and out. That's, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, So SpartanMag.com, it's, uh, we've been real happy with it. We've grown, we've got, um, Full-time writer, Paul Konerdyke's been with me for about 15 years. He lives in the Grand Rapids area. does a great job as associate editor. We've got interns. Jake Laskawa is an intern, a journalism student here at Michigan State from Berkeley High School, doing a great job. And with the things, and we lean, he's been with us a short time, and I lean on him on game day and deadlines and, and you know, hey, I need you to do a sidebar story on this guy, and I know it's going to be done well. And, you know, I, I, I've gotten to know him pretty well, and... You know, he had some experience, but really, he sharpened his craft in the classrooms here at Michigan State. I asked him, did you learn this in the classroom? And he says, yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> the the teaching that's being done, um, I think, is strong. Yeah. Um, he's better than I was when I was at Michigan State yeah. as a student. And now we're going to push him to, you know, do a little bit more as an editorial writer and, and, you know, expand as a feature writer. But that's a Michigan State student homegrown, who's excellent. And we utilize him, and our, our readers recognize him too. So Perfect. it's fun. You know, it's fun to, right. to cover this team. It's only sports at the end of the day, right? Right, right. right. It's only sports. And um, 
I can't remember what the question well, was. Well, let's but. we're talking with Jim Camperoni on MSU today. Is editor the proper title or CEO or chief cook and bottle wow. washer? What what is yeah, your title? Bottle it's washer, pretty much. The leader, well, the head man at SpartanMag.com. Publisher SpartanMag.com. Publisher, yeah. And that, uh, you know. So here's a bigger question, and I know we could have a conference on it, but you cover college athletics. I mean, just what's sort of the state of it? To you right now? What are some of the challenges, the opportunities? What are some things you like about what you're seeing and some things that maybe concern you? I don't know if it's going to stay this way, but with the new name, image, and likeness rules, and it, it's, it's good that players, college athletes can capitalize on their own name, image, and likeness. It needed to go that way because the money had become so crazy. You know, when Big Ten universities are getting they're estimating a hundred million dollars a year with the new contracts with the television stations and, and, you know, football coaches are making nine, $10 million a year. I don't fault them for that, but when the money is that crazy, it doesn't make sense for the players not to get some of that. You know, back when George Perlis was the coach here, I think the green Bay Packers came after him and Michigan state gave him a deal of about $220,000 a year, which was a lot of money. And that was a big deal to keep him from going to the NFL. If you go back to the seventies, I'm not sure Woody Hayes ever made more than $40,000 a year, 50000 What was that times the cost of tuition? It might have been 10 times the cost of tuition. Now coaches are making 300 times the cost of tuition. So just me speaking personally, the moral compass changed a little bit. If you were a student athlete getting a scholarship in 1975 and your coach made 10 times that, that seemed a little more palatable to me when I look back. Now, if the coach is making $10 million a year and I'm a player and I'm Terrell Pryor, and I get in trouble because I sell my jersey for $500, but I go on the field and risk my spinal cord every Saturday, but he's not allowed to sell his jersey, there's something wrong with that. And that's just, that's something Mark D'Antonio said about his mentor, Jim Tressel, when Tressel got in trouble for covering that up. He said that Tressel was a, was a tragic hero. And what he meant by that, I never talked to Mark about this, but Tressel was doing the right thing. He took care of it, and um, but... If what Tressel was supposed to do was to blow the whistle on it and make Terrell Pryor ineligible, which doesn't make sense. You know, when he was in Terrell Pryor's living room recruiting Mrs. Pryor's son, she was, he was trying to help this kid. Now, pr- pragmatically, Jim Tressel also retains Terrell Pryor as a great football player. So there's that part of it, too. But <laughs> I think Tressel's a decent enough person. He didn't want to throw his player out with the bathwater because of this archaic rule. Okay, so now name, image, and likeness is allowed. Players are allowed to do commercials. It's going to be interesting to see where that water reaches its own level in terms of how marketable they are They are to some corporations and how many corporations are just, you know, Billy Bob oil drilling that just want to support their team and, and buy recruits. Okay, that's all well and good. The part that concerns me is we're seeing in covering recruits and talking to high school coaches and so forth, when coaches, when players come to campus, it used to be all about meeting players, meeting the coaches, maybe a tour of campus. I remember T.J. Duckett being introduced to Peter McPherson as the president here when he was visiting for, to watch a basketball game. Meeting the president meant something. Right now, they want to know name, image, and likeness. How much can your school pay me? That never used to be the case. You know, maybe I'll go to this school because they're saying they can pay me more. They're saying they can pay me more. There's no contract. I'm worried that some of the college athletes that are making visits, they read about name, image, and likeness in the media, they hear about it, that is at the forefront of their attention, more so than the university. 
I, I'm concerned about that because that money won't last very long that they might get on the way in. It might be substantial money to them at the time, and I respect that. But what a university can do for you long term, I'm concerned that they're taking the, the, the too many players and coaches and others that are involved in the decision-making process are taking their eye off of what it used to be years ago. Now, recruiting has always had some soiled aspects to it, and that's been a challenge to, to, to college football. It's, it, a lot of fans aren't bothered by that. Some fans are. Okay, so um, in certain parts of the country, it means more to uh, to the point where cheating is no big deal. Well, now it's not cheating because you can pay all these players. But to get your back to your question, I'm concerned that so many recruits are are concerned more about NIL on the mm-hmm. way in and not the universities and what the universities can do for them long term. And then where does the other thing we hear about is this transfer portal where yeah. there seems like, again, a good idea if there were maybe some times you could or couldn't, not just because coaches mm-hmm. yelled at me in practice, yeah. so I'm going to leave. What is the transfer portal? What do you like and not like about that? Yeah, you know, Tom Izzo, you could talk to him about it. He hates it. Not only because it can hurt his team, which I'm sure it's on his mind every day, but he has to re-recruit his players every day make sure that those those harsh words I had for you yesterday about missing class and being a little bit lethargic in practice, uh, i got to smooth it over today, otherwise you could end up in the portal. So he doesn't want to lose players for his own competitive reasons. But he's a strong believer, and Kurt Kerbstreet agrees with him on this, that you know the tough love you get as a freshman, as a sophomore, can serve you well later. Draymond Green is a big proponent of what of how hard Izzo was on him as a young player. And Draymond Green mentioned that here on campus a few weeks ago when he was inducted into the Michigan State University Athletics Hall of Fame when he said if he had been a freshman today, he probably would have transferred out because the coach was being hard on him. But as it is now, Draymond Green is very thankful that the coach was that hard on him. It made him it made him more disciplined. more. It helped him get the, the most out of his abilities. So that's what Izzo would tell you. All right, now for the transfer... I mean, just in terms of competitive athletics, there's a reason that if you transfer, you have to sit out the next year. That's the way it used to always be. Otherwise, you just have, you know... What we have now. (laughs) Yeah, chaotic, around-the-clock free agency, um, which is, you know, in one way, it's great that the players have that freedom, but um, I kind of think you need rules. Yeah. Um, Some guardrails, as they say. All right, so people are like, well, that's a dumb rule. You should be able to to transfer. I'm like, well, what about four years of eligibility? Why not give them nine years of eligibility? Why do we have that rule? You know? Well, because it's always been that way because you kind of need for competitive... That's just the way it was built. For competitive um, structure and continuity, it just makes sense that... Because what's going to happen next? Can you transfer at mid-semester, play for Michigan State basketball up until January 1st, and then for winter semester, you transfer to Ohio State? What's keeping someone from doing that? I'm not sure. But at some point, it is. These are sports. There's rosters, and even if you go down here to the to the Lansing City League, fifty and over baseball city league, if you sign for a team for that year, you, you can't change teams in the middle of the season. It makes sense. That's just the way sports yeah. are. So um, it's good that some players can get out of difficult situations or you know less advantageous situations or dangerous situations it's good that they can move on me personally i think you should have to sit out a year 
Um, Definitely needs some guardrails, I think. Yeah, for instance, Michigan State could have used a, a new big man yeah. this year. They lose Julius Marble, who transferred back home to the Dallas area to be near his mother. His father passed away while he was a freshman here, so he went back there. So Michigan State does not have a center they were expecting. Could they have gone into the portal and gotten one? Yes. Izzo says, I'm going to develop Mati Sissoko, who's going to be a junior. He's not played much in his first two years. Um, he has some potential, but has a long way to go. But Izzo made that decision, I'm going to develop him old school, and as you would have done years ago, rather than just go pick one off the tree and put Sissoko back on the bench, second string for another year. <clears throat> I'm sure that Izzo thinks that there's some positives from a team standpoint also, because you do that, you've won their hearts and minds a little bit more. There's some payoff for your team to win games yes. in that way also. Yes. So that's part of it. But I agree with you. I think that's refreshing to do that. All the, the transfers, um, you're, you will get some play, you know, like Izzo says, I don't agree with everything he says, but Herb Street agrees <laughs> with it and others do too. But um, times get tough, quit, transfer. That's the message. Yeah. Times get yeah. tough, don't stick it out. Don't, you know, don't, Nose to the grindstone, and yeah. back when Perlis was here, it was work hard, keep, keep your mouth shut, and keep your mouth shut. And they all count one, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's not always the greatest way. On it's, it's, yeah. it doesn't apply to everything, but the um, the message is: if things are tough, yeah, quit and transfer. Yeah. And that's that's not going to be good for yeah. a lot of for some people. It's good. There's going to be some people that, and we've seen this also. They enter the transfer portal and they don't get picked right. up, and they end up with no scholarship. That's right. And then the other thing is. If you want to compete, you know that your competitors are in the portal and plucking out three or four good players here or there. They're getting better, so you'd better do the same to keep up with them. And then if you're over the scholarship limit, then you have to go back to your own roster and kick people off your team to make yeah. room for those. Yeah. So that's the roadkill. Those are the unintended consequences. What you end up with is more players um, getting the, the rug pulled out from out of them into, yeah. from what they thought was a scholarship. It used to be, if you're offered a scholarship, and Mark D'Antonio was this way, if we offer you a scholarship and you commit, you come here, you're here for four years, maybe five, and if the player doesn't work out and he's not any good, D'Antonio felt, that's my fault as the coach for recruiting him or not motivating him or whatever, I'm not going to move him off the team, as long as he's not like a, a bad citizen or something. Yeah. Um, he owed that to them to stay in school, and he would have fifth-year seniors that never started. These days, that's an expensive scholarship slot. If you're not good by your second year with a lot of coaches, yeah. you're off, you get cut, and they bring someone else in off the transfer portal, so it ends up with more roadkill. That's the, these are not The changes I don't think have been good, yeah. Russ. I don't think it's good All right, for well, the players, for yeah. the student-athletes. Well, Jim Camperoni, here's... Uh, Except enough. for name, image, and likeness. I think it's yeah. good. No, the, I, those that organically can, can make yes. money, I think that makes perfect sense. Right. Share share in the wealth. Um, so, well, same thing sort of for sports journalism now. Where do you, what do you like about where it's going? What's your advice for someone like your student that's working for you now and doing so well? I mean, mm -hmm. it's so different now, but just sort of, again, what do you like and not like about where sports journalism and really journalism in general is going? And, and what do you tell the... The young people who want wow. to do it. Wow, you know that's. I'm really not sure what the answers are. You know, it's if you can double major, possibly that's good because I don't. You know, journalism. It's it's hard to say where it's headed. Um, there are some opportunities in digital journalism which is good, and you can see here in the Com Arts Building they're teaching that um, and doing a great job of it. Um, I've always thought too, good writing skills yeah. will benefit you in just about any Anything. career. Yes. Yeah, and you know, journalism grads go into public relations yes. and do well there. Um, another colleague of mine, Jillian Van Strat, who works at oh, yeah. MLive.com now, she used to work from, from, for us at SpartanMag.com for a number of years. 
and got a great opportunity at MLive. She's very talented. She's won Emmys um, with short news films. Um, I speak with her a lot. Like during the pandemic, well, not a lot frequent, not not a lot recently, but I value her opinion on these things because she's at MLive. She's more in tune to the, the industry in terms of the, the hiring of people. And during the pandemic, I there were some students people that I knew that were journalism students that wanted some insight to the question that you're answering, asking. We'd have Zoom meetings, and I'd say, yes, I'd talk to you, but I'm going to bring Jillian in also because she knows more about this than I do. And she says what you say. If you're a good writer, there are opportunities for you somewhere. Secondly, she is bullish on the future. She thinks that there always will be an avenue for people to make money in reporting good, reliable, credible news. I hope she's right. I agree. I hope she's right. And Michigan State's a great place to learn. I guess you need a bigger toolkit, though, is what they're saying. You should yeah. know how to do a simple video or yes. a podcast or take some photos, right, in addition to yes. being. That always helps, too. But good writing is invaluable, yes. I think. It, it is the whole thing. I remember being in the corridors at the Hoosier Dome in 2000 when Michigan State won the national championship. We didn't have smartphones at the time. But I remember Irvin Johnson with his back to the wall in the corridors as – Mateen Cleaves and Morris Peterson and A.J. Granger walked by to go to the post-game press conference. And Irvin was just sitting there with his arms crossed saying, Hey, champ. What's up, champ? Like, he'd known these guys for a long time. But for the first time, he was referring to them as champ. If I had had a smartphone to record that moment, that had been great. You would have gone viral, Jim. <laughs> so as a journalist, you're, you're watching everything all the time. But now we do have more tools. Right, yeah. And that, that makes it exciting. But I agree with Jillian. Or I hope that Jillian is right, that there will always be a place for good, credible, um, and I'll go as far as say nonpartisan journalists. Yeah, and I think there's yeah. a hunger for that. No question. So things are changing in journalism. Maybe we're, things can change on an upswing because there's a need for, you know, Cronkite journalism. Yeah. So one, as we close, what is SpartanMag.com? What do you want to tell our listeners about? Uh, SpartanMag.com. It's a premium website covering Michigan State sports, football, and basketball primarily, and recruiting. We've got a message board there called the Underground Bunker Message Board, and I re- like to refer to that as the daily narrative on Michigan State sports. As Nick Saban would say, it's the church of what's happening now with Michigan State sports, <laughs> the Underground Bunker. You have to be a subscriber to SpartanMag.com to get into the bunker. But in the bunker, I've had, I don't know, 90,000 posts there in the last 15 years. I don't know, something like that. But we talk about everything from you know, what's going on at the linebacker position to does anyone have any advice out there on buying televisions or how was the real estate market in the Sheboygan area? These things come up. It's a community and it's people are, they don't always agree with one another and I have to be a recess attendant. But they're unified by MSU sports love, a love for it. SpartanMag.com. In addition to coverage and analysis and video and press conference videos and our VCast where Paul Conan and I can talk about yesterday's game or what's going on this week. Hardcore Michigan State sports. Also, just an overview of Michigan State as a university community spartanmag.com jim camperoni great to see you thanks a lot russ it's my pleasure i'm russ white this is msu today